You sisters know that my skin has been glowing lately, and I'm here to tell you my secret. Oak Essentials. You've heard us talk about their line of luxurious products before, and we're so excited to have them as a sponsor of OK Sister Podcast because now you can join in on the glowy goodness. You know Oak Essentials is legit because it was created by none other than our favorite brand ever, Jenny Kane. Oak Essentials is known for its simple approach to self-care with a lineup of foundational skincare staples made with high-quality ingredients that drive results. It aims to unlock healthy, glowing skin with decadent and hydrating ingredients that give you a luxe, dewy glow. I won't shut up about the Moisture Rich Balm. It's a nutrient-rich balm that supports collagen production and delivers serious hydration for a luminous glow. And a luminous glow indeed. The way my skin feels like butter after applying this balm. This balm will make you never want to wear makeup again. And you can apply generously during your night routine to lock in moisture as you dream. It's the definition of beauty sleep. Treat yourself or someone else this season. You sisters will get 15% off and a free organic honey-based restorative mask with their first order. Oh my God, what a deal. When you use code OKSIS15 at checkout. That's right. 15% off plus a gift with your first order at O-A-K-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S.com. Promo code OKSIS15, OKAYSIS15. Go ahead and treat yourself. From luxurious skincare to meaningful self care, you deserve it. Welcome to OK Sis Podcast. Hi, sisters. I'm Maddie. And I'm Scout. And we are sisters IRL. I'm the older one. Yes, Scout. We know. We're cultural observers. And of curious minds. Get ready for sisterly banter while we chat about fixations, learnings, and personal growth. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood. Hello and welcome back to OK Sis. My name is Mads. And I'm Scout, the older sister. We are sisters, and you're listening to OKSIS Podcast. That That is the truth. That is a fact. Yeah, well, I'm just, that's, well, we're in the business of doing a lot of things, but providing the facts <laughs> is one of them. <laughs> providing the facts is so true. How are you this uh, fine day, Scoutala? You know, today I'm having a good day. I am learning the tough lesson yet again. I learned this lesson over and over and over again because I don't actually learn it or implement it into my soul is that I am a people pleaser. And when people ask me to do things, I say yes. And so I have gotten to the place maybe 200 times where I am so overwhelmed by my social obligations. So I called dad and said that I wasn't going to Shabbat today oh whoa i mean okay you, that's you, a big step yeah you have a different relationship with our family where i feel as if i feel guilty when i don't show up to something you're very much like yeah i'm not doing that which is why one time i had to literally drive three hours to go to like uncle fucking al's birthday because you refused to not show up and one of us had to who's uncle al that's not his actual name i don't know his name oh. um so I'm just <laughs> trying to implement. I'll tell you after. I'm okay. just trying to implement some boundaries and feel okay with saying, "Hey, I'm sorry, I can't go to dinner," mm-hmm. and not just this week, 
for the motherfucking foreseeable future with you. Like, Very I good. yes, I, I haven't seen you in four years. No reason for us to go to dinner. Um, yes, uh, c- can confirm this is a great practice for you. Um, I am currently in the unblocking boundaries. Um. With Lacey Phillips. So I am right. What what you are doing is the verbal boundary, the verbal communication. Um, and we love that for you, Scout. We love boundaries. Yeah. I, I, I literally got off the phone with dad and I said, I'm really sorry. Like explain to him where I'm at and how I just right now my business with Scout's agency is just super ramping up. I am dabbling into the psychosis symptoms of my bipolar disorder. And I just had to say, I'm going to be a little busy lately doing me, but I felt fucking terrible saying that. But um, hmm. that's not the point. The point is that I did it. Yes. The point is you are signaling to yourself and to the universe that this is a boundary that you are placing energetically into the world. Well, you know, if that was typed, if that sentence was typed, one would not know if Scout said it or one would think or Scout said it. But Scout didn't say it. Maddie said it. That was me. That was all from my brain. Signaling the universe about your energetic boundaries? Who are you? I know. I know. Lacey Phillips has been injected into my veins. It's like, I just can't get her out of my head. Oh, thank God. Thank God for that. How are you feeling, Mads? Oh, you know. I mean, it's been a day. Uh, We're recording this on a Friday afternoon, which... Hashtag never again and hashtag boundaries. Um, I set the boundary with you. I said I am no longer available for Friday recordings. I mean, I am. uh, That's a boundary I'm setting for myself right now as well because I thought I could do this and I was like so I was so energetic in the beginning of the day. I also had back to back meetings. I kid you not from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Like not even one minute in between. Um, So. That is just a recipe for disaster when it comes to creating content. So I'm going to keep it together. I had Ben June fetch me a cold brew that I'm drinking at 4.15 on a Friday. So let's see what happens tonight. But um, we're going to do this. We're going to do this because this is an episode that I feel very strongly about and that needs to be told and needs to be needs to be in in the world I don't know it just needs to it needs to be get out of me yeah. <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. I was gonna say this is an episode sisters that Mads is actually a little nervous to share and talk about and so I'm really excited because I feel like when you get to that point where you've lived through something and you've worked through something yet you're really afraid to share it that in that fear comes so much so much healing, not only for you, but for the person listening and consuming the narrative that you're telling. So I'm super excited for this episode. But first, shall we do some current fixations? Yes, we shall. Okay, so my current fixation is an album. It is probably the best album. So I've always said that the Velvet Underground album is my favorite by... um, Oh, the Velvet Underground and Nico. Duh. Yeah, um, I was going to say, isn't that the name of the band? I'm trying to think of what the name of that album is. Whatever. That's has always been my favorite album. But some this one has taken its place. It's Sergio Mendes and Brazil 66. It truly, like, this album is so fucking good. It's bossa nova-y. It's got this flavor. It's in English, You're which is a, a little bossa interesting. Nova. You're a bossa nova stan. 
I'm a bossa nova stan, but a very specific type of bossa nova stan. So mm. I don't like the elevator music stuff. I like more of like Cubanish music, more Latina music, um, you know, kind of even crossing the border to the Gypsy Kings kind of stuff. So I'm only and I'm sorry if I'm saying his name wrong. I'm really trying to not say Sergio because that's incorrect. Sergio. So Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66 is I can't stop listening to it out of my head. I played that four times in a row yesterday while I was cooking my meal, you know, out of my head onto you, out of my head onto you, out of my Get it, head. Day uh, and night, uh, night uh, and day yeah. and uh, night. Oh, <laughs> hey, oh, hey. <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying. You don't I'll know that to... song? No, I don't know what you're saying. Wait, so wait, how do I know it and you don't? Because I'm assuming I, um, I'm assuming that I was introduced to it in our childhood. No, we've never, we have never Wait, you don't know song. this band? You don't know this album? I don't know what you're, t- I, I am clueless. Whoa. I, I just, thought you just found it. No, I just, no, I've known oh. them for so long. I just I don't remember the origin of where I was introduced to this album, and so I just assumed that Dad listened to it. No. <gasps> oh, your life is about to change. Oh God, I know what you're doing tonight. You're playing the whole fucking album. Okay. Homework. Wow, this is a good We'd day. This is it. a good day for you. This is a good day for me. You know the look of love no no i don't none of this is ringing any bells oh wow okay my mind's a little blown um maybe i'm i i need to go into my psyche and figure out where i where i found this these songs because you know my memory is clearly not serving me correctly so (laughs) what's your current fixation mads my current fixation is smoothies and I never knew that the smoothie life was the life for me. I didn't think this was in my, um, you know, brand pillars to be a smoothie gal. But that is what I have been introduced to. So Ben's parents gave us their old blender. We were, you know, in the market for a blender. So this is just, like, you know, serendipitously came into our life. And I have been making these just like simple smoothies, um, you know, I which is really bad to admit, but I never used to do like post-workout smoothies or even wor- even eat. You're supposed to eat like 30 minutes right after working out to reap some of the, the benefits. Um, but now I can just make a quick smoothie. I got the Saqqara protein powder, the plant- plant-based protein powder. I put banana, almond milk, ice, handful of spinach, and voila. You got yourself a protein-packed smoothie, and it tastes delicious. Okay, so I have so many thoughts about the smoothie life. Yeah. I was on the smoothie life for about eight months to a year, and that's what I drank for breakfast. That was my breakfast every single morning. And I put the Vital Proteins protein powder in. I loved it. This feels like it's triggering for you. It is a triggering thing for me, and I'll tell you why. Because... For some reason, and I can't explain to you why because I didn't actually speak to a nutritionist about this, the smoothie made me crash so significantly in the afternoon to the point where you can ask Naomi who was working with me at the time. I would have to take a nap no matter where I was. It got so such intense um, lethargy, like lethargy, like so intense to the point where I was afraid. Is it lethargy? I don't know. I don't know. 
I was afraid to make plans where I wasn't able to close my eyes somewhere. Like I could not physically get through the day to the point well, that why would the why would listen, the smoothies listen, be doing that? Listen. To the point that my psychiatrist put me on medication because I was so so fucked up by this. And I was having diarrhea three times a day. Three times a day. Honestly jealous. And um then I one What's day that like one to day poop? I did not. Yeah. Well, that's a whole nother story. One day I didn't drink the smoothie and I had eggs instead and I didn't crash at all and I didn't have diarrhea. And so after some trial and error, I realized that I think it's because it's either was the protein powder that I was using or it's the fact that putting I put a lot of berries and raspberries and blueberries, like having that much sugar at that time of the day fucked me over for the rest of the day. So I I don't subscribe to the smoothie game anymore. Got it. Got it. Um, mine is minimal fruit. So we got half the banana. That's it. That's all it is. Um, just for a little creaminess. But um, yeah, I feel you. And you know what? Like diarrhea scout is not the is not the scout we need. You know, not just diarrhea scout, diarrhea and passed out scout, you know, like not at the same time, but within the same day. Oh, wow. What if you passed out in your diarrhea? <laughs> oi, oi. Okay, we're getting into tricky territory here. Okay, let's get into the episode, Mads, shall we? Real quick, sisters, we are so excited to chat with you today about what I'm considering my new signature look, Warby Parker. Every time I see those tortoise shell frames, I truly do think of you, Scout. Oh yeah, the Kimball ones? I got those years and years ago, and I've been wearing them religiously ever since. But I had to hop on Warby Parker's home try-on kit, and now when I want a softer, more feminine look, I turn to my rose crystal Percy frames. Wait, Scout, before you get too much into that, let's back up. What is Warby Parker, sisters? Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores, offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, eye exams, and contact lenses. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Sunglasses, progressives, and blue light lenses are also available. They have my favorite style of glasses, but what I love so much about Warby Parker is their home try-on kit. I took their quiz, selected my five favorite frames that I wanted to try on, they showed up at my door days later, and I got to try them on in the comfort of my own home. After I FaceTimed Mads a million times, who helped me pick the Percy's as the winner, I easily returned to the frames, ordered the Percy's with my prescription, and received my very own pair straight to my doorstep. It felt like having a personal shopper come straight to my apartment. I also ordered the Percy, but in striped sassafras with blue light after getting my home try-on kit, which you probably have seen me rocking on the Instagram. They had my prescription on file from previous glasses, so it was super easy to order right away. Mads, always, always copying me. As if affordable, stylish frames that you can try on at home wasn't enough, for every pair of glasses sold, Warby Parker distributes a pair of glasses to someone in need. Try Warby Parker's free home try-on program. Order five pairs of glasses to try on at home for free for five days. There's no obligation to buy. It ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. So try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash OKSIS. That's warbyparker.com slash OKAYSIS. Or you can go to the link in our show notes and DM us when you pick your winning glasses. 
Ever since having a baby, I've been extremely conscious about what I spend my money on and which products I use. And clothing is no different. I want my wardrobe to be sustainable, good quality, and timeless. You have to be talking about Whimsy and Row, right? Whimsy and Row is an LA grown, eco conscious brand born out of the love for cute, comfy, and classic styles. Every piece is made by women for women. Quality goods, local production, natural and organic fabrics. Yes, please give me all the linens. Just like OK Sister, Whimsy and Row is based on the idea that women are multidimensional. There's a balance of flirty feminine and minimal masculine in all of our wardrobes, and Whimsy and Row means exactly that. From special occasions to everyday effortless styles, their clothing is meant to mix and match and wear on repeat. I have been wearing their Kira pant in black linen probably three times a week. Sisters, if you've been listening to this podcast or following me on Instagram, you know that Whimsy and Rose Kira Pant in Black Linen is a sisterhood staple at this point. Founder Rachel Temko created the brand back in 2014 because she wanted to create an approachable and inclusive brand that cared for the people and the planet first. Get the full Whimsy experience IRL at their Venice location or shop online at whimsyandrow.com. Their store in Venice is so cute. I can attest. And if you're in LA, I highly recommend stopping by. They are always putting on these amazing community events. They just launched their spring summer collection and we will be living in it all summer long. Visit their website, whimsyandrow.com. That's W-H-I-M-S-Y-A-N-D-R-O-W.com and use code OKSISTER for 15% off. Sisters, my goal these days is to always look put together when I leave the house. Nothing over the top or super dressed up or anything like that. I just want to look put together and feel good about what I'm wearing in an effortless yet refined way. When I look at my closet every single morning and think about what I can wear that is chic and intentional, I usually end up grabbing one of my Jenny Kane sweaters and I always end up loving the way I look and the way I feel in them. You all know, sisters, that when I envision my highest self, I am wearing Jenny Kane. Their sweaters are the quintessential must-have item. I cannot stop wearing my Marina set. I throw it on and immediately feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie. Like I could just walk on the beach in Santa Barbara. It is the coastal grandma aesthetic. My favorite Jenny Kane sweater right now is their everyday sweater in taupe. This is the definition of a staple that every woman must have in their wardrobe. Sisters, trust me on this one. I wear it with leggings, oversized jeans and a little kitten heel or a silk maxi skirt. Legit, Mads and I are so obsessed with wearing our Johnny Kane sweaters that we've literally shown up both wearing the same sweater once. The white alpaca cocoon crew neck, which is this deliciously oversized sweater. Yeah, that moment takes the cake. Both of us walking in with our matching Jenny Kane sweaters. We're obsessed. Can't take them off. Wearing them every day. The type of staples that save your outfit. That is what I love about their entire collection. It is truly the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless designs. You can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code OKSIS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code OKSIS. O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Okay, sisters, back to the episode. My heart is beating, but this this needs to come out of my 
my subconscious so we're gonna bring it out let's first talk about we were uh, we were guests on my point of view podcast which has not been released yet but it's going to so go check out that podcast it's it's amazing um and we started talking about our college experiences and we realized that we have one very very different experiences and two have a lot of emotional feelings about the college life experience and we realized that we hadn't actually done a really big deep di- deep dive on the podcast so that's where the inspiration for this episode came right so we're going to really define college experiences but specifically the college admission process and then overall views on the current educational system it will be fun i promise (laughs) i just want to preface that i feel like i feel like we're going to school but it's not okay yeah no i don't i don't fuck with school so we're not going to school we're not going to school Um, okay so first though um i do want to read this excerpt from joe joan didion's new essay collection called let me tell you what i mean our producer helen um while we were talking through this solo episode she brought up this amazing essay we are joan didion stands over here so it just felt pertinent to read a little excerpt um so it's in the essay on being unchosen by the college of one's choice all right here we go getting into college has become an ugly business malignant in its consumption and diversion of time and energy and true interests and not And not its least deleterious aspect is how the children themselves accept it. They talk casually and unattractively of their first, second, and third choices, of how their first choice application does not actually reflect their first choice. They are calculating about the expectation of rejections, about their backup possibilities, about getting the right sport and the right extracurricular activities to balance the application, about juggling confirmations when their third choice accepts them before their first choice answers. And of course, none of it matters very much at all. None of these early successes, early failures. I wonder if if we had better not find some way to let our children know this, some way to extricate our expectations from theirs, some way to let them work through their own rejections and sullen rebellions and interludes with golf pros, unassisted by anxious prompting from the wings. Finding one's role at 17 is problem enough without being handed somebody else's script just let that sink in um so I just don't think a lot of people talk about this pivotal moment in their lives getting rejected specifically from dream colleges and the constant cycle of rejection and pressure that education places on us and you might be 10 years removed from this experience like I am but it still haunts me to today and you know everyone knows that I mean I've already mentioned Lisa Phillips like five times in this episode so everyone knows we're moving through her manifestation work and um, during her deep imaginings she always um, and you know when I feel inadequate or low self-worth in the deep imaginings she will ask you to like pinpoint the first time that you've ever experienced this emotion and typically you're supposed to think of something more in the childhood or preteen years but automatically I think of getting rejected from colleges as the first time that I was faced with true deep rejection um and it was the moment that I first told myself oh shit you're not good enough that's hilarious that you ever thought you could get into those colleges everyone is better than you you don't deserve the best 
And that is really when I internalized all of those thoughts that pop up in my daily life today. And I think um, the reason I, you know, don't talk about this as much and I don't feel as I feel it's unimportant sometimes is because I'm so fortunate and privileged um, that I got into NYU and then transferred to USC. So I went to schools that people dream of and would die to go to. Um, so in fear of seeming ungrateful, I usually don't typically talk about this or acknowledge it, but it's something deeper than the schools I was accepted into. It was kind of my first experience with getting my hopes up, the possibility, and then that inevitable rejection um, that's deeply impacted and followed me to today. So uh, do you want to comment on something? I have I have some more to say. Oh, you, I mean, I feel as if there's, you have more to say than I do as far as um, how the experience impacted you. So you can keep going and, and you just let me know when you want me to talk about my experience getting rejected from colleges. Okay. So um, this is going to bring up a lot of shame and trauma for me, but I think it's really important to convey. So let's fucking go. Okay, we're going to bring it back. Um, we're going to bring it back to like pre-high school. Um, I was always a good and studious student um, leading up to high school. And my freshman and sophomore years in high school, I still excelled. But I didn't adopt this intensity about school until my junior and senior year, which is when I started dating someone in those years. And they really shifted my perspective and approach to school because um, he was very clever one of the top students in our class and I overworked myself challenged myself to a degree that wasn't necessary I took all AP classes my senior year and I actually got my first anxiety attack before a calculus final which you were there for scout um do you remember that it was at mom's house like right before the final in the morning huh I don't recall that. Okay, anyway, so that was the first time I've ever had an anxiety attack. And if I'm being honest, I it was probably all to impress this boy. And the summer going into senior year, I was also going through a major internal dilemma because I decided to give up musical theater. And I don't know why this makes me cry every time, but that was a Trump. That was... That was a loss that I, I've i never mourned. And um, I'll explain a little bit more about why I gave it up. But, you know, I was in therapy. When I first entered therapy, um, my therapist had asked me, like, you know, we're talking about childhood. And I, I it took me months to even mention to her or even remember that I that I had this such, you know, formative part of my identity. And I just, I, I've completely repressed it. And the reason I think that is, is because I began to feel a lot of shame around the choice to go to college for musical theater. Um, you know, just for context, I was a professional performer in San Diego for most of my childhood. And it was it was all that I knew 
how to do and I was I was really good at it so there was no doubt in my mind that I would go go to school for it or like be in a conservatory and then I I just like began to feel this intense shame because I was you know excelling at school and I'd adopted this mentality that I was that I should be going to school for something that's more like practical um and academic and that was the first time I ever thought that way about theater I that going into senior year of high school and it's the only time in my life where I think back and I was just so creative and I was I didn't give a shit about what other people thought I didn't care about what the world would think if I did this as a as a career path or as a job and it wasn't until this moment in my life that all of that changed in about one month. I didn't consult with anyone about this about this decision. Um, I just went up to mom and dad one day and I said, I'm going to quit theater and I'm going to go to school for something more practical. And I've never looked back. And I don't think I've ever like mourned that part of myself because I think a lot of people you know, have these passions and school and education and the world and society, they, they pressure us to, to give it up. Oh my God, why am I crying so much? You're crying because you're realizing that you let someone else take something from you. But the thing that we should eventually talk about is that you can still take that back. Just because you gave it up. 10 years ago in pursuit of trying to fit into a box doesn't mean that it's not still available to you. Your singing is, you know, you, you joke that you think I'm your biggest fan, but you're, you're a highly talented singer and it doesn't have to look like you can only sing if you're a full-time singer. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just so incredible to me because you know, I thought this was what I wanted and and when I went to therapy and I was asked to kind of think back at that time, I was so shocked at myself that it took me so long to even tell my therapist that this was part of my life. I had completely repressed it and completely pushed it down because I was afraid of what other people would think of me and I was afraid that it wouldn't bring me money that I, I just all these things that we conjure up and um anyways so that was a huge part of of that time in my life I think in addition to just you know trying to figure out what you were gonna how I was gonna go to college or what what have you so I had literally applied to all of these colleges in the pursuit of musical theater and then when I decided to drop it we had to redo all of my applications and I basically decided to apply to all of these Ivy League schools last minute um with basically no preparation I had taken the ACT but I didn't know that you have to take like the SAT2 tests and all these things so I ended up scrambling for my first semester of senior year to complete all those things and when I look back, it, you know, it wasn't coming out of a place of intention. It was never something I so deeply wanted. It was just something 
it was something that people were telling me that I could have, right? Like my college counselor, uh, this boyfriend at the time and mom and dad, people were, you know, saying, you're so smart. You're so smart. You should go to these types of schools. And I thought that was like the, you know, symbol of excellence. So I wanted to achieve that. And I also only applied to um, East Coast schools because I wanted to get as far away from San Diego as possible, which was a huge mistake in hindsight. Um, So when it came time to hear back from schools, I had got rejected from everywhere except NYU and Emerson. And I remember feeling this extreme, extreme shame. I took the day off of school and I ended up, I remember going to hot yoga and just like f- literally crying all day. And um, I think that was the moment where I internalized that I would never get my hopes up again. And I should probably start playing it small so that I don't face this type of like trauma again. Um, so in the end, I decided to go to NYU. Um, you know, I love, I loved New York City and, um, I never really thought that I was like a typical college experience person and a campus person, but lo and behold, I got there. And I mean, this is for another podcast, but I've never felt more alone in my life. And it was also a very, very traumatic year for me. And so I decided to transfer. And this time I took my application process much more seriously and realistically, and I ended up getting into um, University of Michigan and Tufts and USC. And um, I chose USC to come back to California and be closer to my family. Um, but again, once I got to USC, I kind of fell back into that mentality I had freshman and sophomore year of high school. So like I still cared about school, but I had chosen my major as business administration, and although, you know, I love business, and both Scout and I are entrepreneurs, um, I chose it, you know, to to be practical and to look smart, and I had no interest in finance and econ and no interest in going into consulting after graduation, and I was made to feel lesser than time and time again because anything other than consulting and investment banking at the USC Marshall School of Business, shout out, <laughs> was deemed like superfluous in in business. So as a result, um, I got my first C ever. <laughs> I know that's really annoying to say, but it is really difficult. I've never told anyone that. Um, I got my first C in finance. And with that came this like, again, intense shame because the education system labels our intellect with letters and then it disgraces those that don't achieve the highest of excellence and I had reaped the benefits from that system for so long and then I hit a wall and I was I'm so ashamed to say that I I gave up instead of persevering and viewing that C as an opportunity for growth and I was mortified with myself um, that I gave up hope and if the education system is going to stay this way of like praising and shaming. They need to get better at lifting up those that don't do as well and really nurturing them and even flipping the switch and like praising those that have failed and normalizing it because that's what real life is. Failure after failure and you having to recognize that those opportunities, those are opportunities for growth in order to succeed. And the education system as it is set up right now 
does not create that kind of environment. And it it taught me that winning is all that matters, which I have it has taken me about five years to unlearn that. So that's my spiel. <laughs> I just want to, um, you know, first applaud you for sharing that. I know that it was really hard and it's been weighing on you all day that you had to. So I think um, not only am I honored that you're sharing it with me, but I'm sure that everybody listening is really, really grateful that you that you felt safe enough here to to go there and it's also a really big testament to your growth and your self-awareness and your emotional awareness as well as tapping into the way that you do want to live your life obviously those things that you felt and exhibited during your college years I, I I would you know I don't know if the right word is assume but I would confidently say that you don't want to use those those tools to continue on you want to kind of exhibit a different type of emotional like showing up in a different way um yeah for sure so thanks Mads it makes me sad of course because there's nothing more heartbreaking to me than um a woman who turns her back on herself in pursuit of external validation and I always try to show women that the the path that lights them up the most is the path that you should walk down. And and I think you, you're sitting here saying something that we should talk about is you're sitting here saying you gave up musical theater and thinking that because you gave it up at 17 means you gave it up for life. And that's not necessarily true. I think that we view our 20s as the most important decade of our life that sets up the rest of our life. But there's so much time and pursuing your passions doesn't have to look like a career, but infusing musical theater into your life, I think is is so possible and, and so available to you. If you ever feel as if you do want to tap back into that side of you, I, I often think I've often thought to myself, I'm not really sure how she is okay without singing. I don't, you know, I, I'm a writer and I could never be okay if I didn't have that outlet available. It doesn't mean I write every day. It doesn't mean I write for a living. But um, I've tapped into that and, and always wondered how, you know. So I, if anything, I hope you sing tonight. That would be super awesome. <laughs> um, you could send me a video. Um <laughs> I, I keep them all when you do send them to me. Um, so my college experience was very different, even though I, too, got denied from every college possible. Um, so as a student in high school, I was very aware from a very young age that the academic system was not for me. I knew that I had gifts and passions and interests that came alive, not within a GPA. And um, I knew I had a lot to offer. And I knew that there was an expression of myself that I could not express with a GPA. And um, I remember applying to colleges. Mads was allowed to apply out of state, but I was not. So <laughs> let's just put that out there. So I applied to I all these. I don't even think I asked. I just, I just did things. <laughs> yeah. I was only supposed to go to a public school. So I applied to all the public schools, UCs, state schools, et cetera. And I remember telling mom, I remember saying, I really hope they read my essay. 
and I hope that they actually think about who I am as a person. I was someone who did not get an A in grades or in in subjects that I knew in my heart would not be beneficial for me in the long run. So, for example, I'm not a science person and I do not need AP physics to or just regular physics, not even AP physics. I do not need physics to live my life today. There is no there's no aspect of me that needs physics. I knew that as a 16-year-old, so I did the bare minimum. Um, I knew that about statistics and math. I wasn't going into math, so I did the bare minimum. I always tried to get an 80% because I thought people would be a little bit happier with me if I got Bs, but I did get a C in physics. 79.9 actually, guys. Um, but I didn't I didn't really care. I, I, I really didn't. I would skip science and math classes and go sit at the panicking and read a book and write poetry and cry about my depression, which showed up in high school. And so I very outwardly said, yeah, you can put a GPA on me, but that doesn't really describe me. Um, I had a 3.7, which to some of you might sound really high. I think that's high. It might have been a 3.6, 3.6, 3.7. That was weighted. That was with my APs. Okay. So, which which sounds great, but my friends were getting like 4.3s, right? So, um, I applied to colleges and I really wanted to go to Berkeley because I liked the culture at Berkeley. Um, I remember my mom asked me, what college do you want to go to? And I, I remember just looking at her and saying, I want to go to the college where I can dress like myself and people won't look Aww. at me weird. I didn't care what the name was. A lot of the times I was made fun of by my friends who are still my friends today and love me dearly, but I was labeled as the emotional one and the poetic one. And instead of wanting to play beer pong, they'd be like, why don't you go write a poem? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh my God. Savage. And so I knew that. Um, I was a little alternative and I just wanted to go to a college where I could wear something that I wanted to wear and where I could wear anything and no one would think twice about it. So anyways, I didn't get into any college. I didn't even get into my safety schools. Like it was weird. It was like I, I, I did not get into a college. I had to go to community college, guys. And my parents were so upset because they had paid for private school my whole life. And I didn't even get into a college. And like, I'm so happy we can laugh about this now. Because well, like, but even it's in just that crazy. Moment, like, even in that moment, I didn't actually have shame. Like, I went to yeah, school you the never next did. day and said, oh, yeah, guys, I'm going to go to Berkeley Community College. Like, I didn't care. Because I knew that if that admissions counselor actually met me, they would want me at their school. So I knew that the way they were asked to present me was not an actual representation of who I was. So, of course, I wasn't feeling ashamed because they didn't actually reject me. They rejected a system that didn't even have anything to do with me. So 
Of course. That's very self-aware of you to recognize yeah. at such a young age. So I, we've talked about my college experience um, on this podcast. I've dropped out because of bipolar disorder. I went to four different colleges and then dropped out again. I never graduated. Um, but I do have to say that I did go to Sarah Lawrence College for a little over a year. And it was the most magical experience because it matched exactly who I was. It matched my soul. It let me... It was the first time I entered an environment and said, oh, I can really be me. Like, I can really, really be me. And so I'll always treasure that experience. Um, but other than going to Sarah Lawrence, I, I'm i very, very vocal about the fact that I don't believe college prepares you for anything. Like, no offense, Mads, but I don't believe in business degrees. I don't think you learn anything about business from those degrees. Honestly, I, I think so, too. You go for, and I apologize to anyone who has been to business school. I mean, I, I was undergrad for me, but you go to college for the network, I believe. I mean, yes, you have a fun experience and you might ha- gain some social skills, but like, and unless you're going to school for something very specific like medicine or law or, you know, what have you, I just, I'm with you. It was, to me, it was rote memorization to the to the point where you know I have a photographic memory so I attribute a lot of my success in school to that I was able to just memorize shit regurgitate it onto a test and have it exit my brain like I was so skilled at that and that is not real life that's not a skill but also you said something that's not knowledge you said something while we were on my point of view podcast and you said I said that I like didn't show up in the places I didn't really feel the need to. And you said, yeah, it's because you would have had to work twice as hard or like something about you being smart and me not being smart. And I know it was a joke, (laughs) but that's how people view people. And in my opinion, there are if you're listening to this and and you're one, if if I applied myself, I could have done it, but it was a waste of my fucking time and it had nothing to do with lighting my soul up and what I wanted to do and it would have I would have done it for other people and I, I I can't operate that way but if you're listening to this and you don't think that you're smart because you didn't get into a college or you didn't get a grade point average or you didn't get this being smart has so many different shades there are so many ways to be smart I believe since day one that I'm super fucking smart super But I took that SAT and ACT four times and got the same fucking score every time, okay? And it wasn't a good one. But I am very smart, guys, okay? And now it just sounds like I'm trying to justify that. But I am saying, like, smart doesn't come in in a grade or a GPA or an SAT score or even a stupid college admission. Smart comes from what you actually do with your life. Yeah, and it took me a long time again to unlearn that I think also something we had touched on is directly right after college I was so lost because I had excelled in that structure that very regimented kind of pass fail type of structure it's like you do the homework you get the grade or this the, 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 that like very like we're we literally do that our whole lives until after college and then we're thrown into this world and you're like wait where are the grades wait how do I know how do I know how to s- assess myself like where are the metrics and 
None of that exists. Internally, all baby. It, I know. All of it is defined on your on your own, which, again, I learned that this year, five years after college, I finally have understood that, like, all of those parameters and structures that, that were enforced upon us in education, you now have control to create those in your life right now, which is beyond i mean it's illuminating and it's empowering it's fucking scary it is but i don't know something about that feels like a release to me it's like oh shit yeah i can do that now yeah i yeah i 100 percent agree i mean i've had it's crazy because i was about a one heavy semester away from graduating um and i dropped out like without thinking twice like I that was my I was like I'm out this isn't for me and people ask me all the time oh are you gonna go back like just get your bachelor's like it's just one semester and it's why so I can feel like I have a security so I can tell you that I graduated so that you can look at me differently because I took four more classes like that's a societal facade Nothing I've ever done in my life has needed a college degree. It's and college degrees don't actually teach you anything about life. And this is disclaimer, excluding if you're going to be a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, like there's certain professions that you need an education of this sort. But my hope and dream and wish is that one day when I have a child and they are 15 or 16, that I empower them to make decisions based off what they want, the way they want to live, what's pulling at their heart, where their true purpose lies. And if they don't want to go to college, they don't have to because I trust that when you live in a state of alignment and when you show up because you want something, you don't have to pass through hoops that are that you think are these stupid requirements. You can make something of yourself without certain, without someone else's credibility attached to you. And so I hope that my child, like I'm thinking of you as a 17-year-old giving up musical theater because you don't think it's a practical vocation. And I'm not saying mom and dad failed you in any way. That's not what I'm saying here. But if my child ever does that, I failed. Mm-hmm. I will have failed them because I don't ever want anybody to make that decision. Yeah. And I think mom felt that way. She mourned it. She begged me to reconsider. She did not understand where it was coming from. She was distraught. And um, yeah, I wouldn't listen to anyone. I really did not consult anyone about this decision. And it it is so sad to me to think back on that time. But all of this is to say... Look, education and knowledge is very important. We're not saying that. We're saying that it comes... I educate myself constantly. There's just other ways that you can get... Other forms. There's other ways that you can get a higher education that doesn't include hundreds of thousand dollars, years of your life, stressed out about a grade point average trying to fit an ideal of all A's. There's no such thing in life as all A's. You are, it, yeah. it's it's an unrealistic expectation that's ingrained to you from the beginning. 
and that right. you can be valued as a human being for other things other than a grade and a number. Yeah, that is what I want people to walk away from today and to understand that just to start the process of unlearning a lot of this that because I'm sure I'm sure you listener dear listener have experienced this and know exactly what the fuck we're talking about um so start the journey of unlearning that because once you are free from you know those expectations of either society family friends yourself I mean lifting that is just so freeing and healing and you can finally you know, step into your your self-worth and understand who you are as a whole. I think that was a big part of it is like I lost complete touch with my authentic self, right? Like my authentic self was was being on stage and being performative and and like working tirelessly. Like I worked I probably worked so I probably worked the hardest I've ever worked when I was in musical theater and it was a joy. It was like a literal joy and delight for me. And that is, that is my true authentic self. And I completely neglected it for the past 10 years, which is a shame. And I, I find, I find ways to tap back into it. I mean, even the podcast I think has been a way for me to exercise that performance nature of myself, um and creative outlet of course uh so there are ways that it can you know reconfigure itself into your life but it it does a disservice for you to play small it you are just you're it's a disservice for you to not live to your fullest potential and live in your full self-worth I can't tell you how long I've waited for you to say stuff like this like and to talk like this and to come home to yourself like this it's just it's it's amazing I I as a, as a bigger sister I don't know how much you know of how much I've been watching from a distance and invested in your emotional growth um knowing that I you can't push any person to get to certain places or come to certain realizations no no one could have pushed me to get where I'm at in, in, you know, times when people just wanted me to get better, but I couldn't. So I totally understand how everyone has their own unique timing, but having been kind of a fly on the wall through all the phases of your life, it's, it's a really big testament to see you talk about your past experiences the way you are right now. So you've given us a huge gift on this podcast today, and I know we appreciate it. I appreciate it. And sisters, if you want to peer pressure Mads into posting a video of her singing, please oh God, stop. post an Instagram story, tag OKSIS podcast. You can say it to the camera or just text Maddie, oh sing a fucking song on Instagram, and maybe we can get her to post an IGTV of her singing. Okay. Well, the progress is not there yet, but we'll we'll keep chipping away. Yeah. Um, Sisters wow, what keep a bothering roller coaster her. of emotion. What a roller coaster. Giving it to you raw and real, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I was not going to have a glass of wine tonight, but maybe I will. Oh, hundo P. I am getting Oh my god, I forgot about that term. I used to use that so much. That's so embarrassing. Um Oh yeah, no. The the wine will be flowing. Yeah, I don't know. I think I might just go with tea. Wow. Sometimes when you have an emotional release, it's really nice to just sit with it. This is true. 
Yeah. This is true. So anyways. All right. Thanks, well, Mads. we love you, sisters. Um, we love you, Scout. We love me, Maddie. And we love you, sisters. <laughs> we love everybody. We love, we love everyone. We, we choose love today. Okay. Well. Okay. Right. You guys can follow us on Instagram at Podcast. If you aren't already, join us at our secret Facebook group, OK Sisters. And if this episode hit home and you think a friend could really value from hearing Mads crying uncontrollably on the podcast, please text it to a friend. <laughs> Bye, sisters. Love you. Hey there, I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. If there's one thing I know from both my personal and clinical experience, it's that we are really good at comparing ourselves to others. We tend to get stuck in the unhelpful narratives that play on repeat in our minds, and we struggle to set boundaries and create healthy love. Each week, I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife, mother, and business owner to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Tune in every Thursday to I'm Not Your Shrink wherever you listen to podcasts. While I'm not your shrink, I am still human and I'm excited for us to be in our vulnerability and humanness together.